Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. All right, good morning. So this is our third week now in our Jesus and the Women of Faith series, where we're looking at Jesus' interactions with women in the Gospels. Uh, In those days, it was generally considered improper for a man to speak to a woman in public that he wasn't related to. And it was especially considered improper for a rabbi to do that. And yet, the Gospels describe multiple occasions where Jesus interacts with women. Two weeks ago, we looked at a story where Jesus defends a woman who joins with the disciples sitting at Jesus' feet, meaning that she takes a desk in Jesus' classroom, basically. Jesus defends that. And last week, we saw how he initiated a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. So not just a woman, but a non-Jewish woman. And he offered her the Holy Spirit, or as he put it, the water of life. Now, the passage that we're looking at today is another interaction with a non-Jewish woman. And I just want to give you a warning. Jesus is not going to sound as nice in this passage as he has in the last two. Uh, You may be a little uncomfortable with Jesus in this passage. But I want to encourage you, don't rush to judgment I think by the end of this sermon, if you're uncomfortable with this passage, you'll have a greater appreciation for it. So, if you want to follow along in your own Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping together. And Lord, we just want to be open to whatever it is that you want to teach us this morning. Help us to attend to you. Um, Even if our minds wander, Lord, speak to us as our minds wander. Uh, We give this time to you, and we want to receive whatever it is that you want to to say to us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So, 
you can see what I mean, right? Here's this poor woman with a demon-possessed daughter. She just wants some help. And at first, Jesus won't even talk to her. And then he calls her a dog. Real nice. So what are we supposed to make of this? Well, let's work through it. Okay, this woman, we're told, is from the region of Tyre and Sidon, which was a non-Jewish region. And we're told that she is a Canaanite. And that's very significant. Over a thousand years before this, the Israelites battled the Canaanites for the land that now is called Israel. And the Canaanites who, were survi who survived, they were pushed northward into this region of Tyre and Sidon. So this woman is a descendant of Israel's worst enemies. Uh, her ancestors had engaged in wicked acts like offering their children as sacrifices to their gods. So this is the kind of person that Israelites would be prejudiced against. Now, at first you might think, well, this story just reinforces that prejudice, right? Jesus calls this woman a dog. But think about it this way. Imagine that you are one of the early Christians, uh, which means you would be Jewish, a Jew who had come to believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah. If you heard this story about Jesus and a Canaanite woman, would you see it as an invitation to be prejudiced against Canaanites? No. Here's what you would see. You would see a story where a Canaanite woman, of all people, is lifted up as an example of great faith. Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Does he ever say anything like that to the disciples? No. Right? He says things like, you couldn't cast out the demon because you have so little faith. Why do you have such little faith? Why do you doubt? After all this time, Right? That's the kind of thing that Jesus says to his disciples, but to this woman he says, you have great faith. And here's something else that you would see. You would see Jesus, the one you regard as your Lord, the one you regard as God in the flesh, appear to change his mind because of what a Canaanite woman says. Now I want to be careful here. We'll, we'll talk more about this later. I'm not saying necessarily that Jesus literally changed his mind. But at the very least, Jesus allows this conversation to unfold in a way where it appears that this woman has changed his mind, where it almost appears that she has bested him in this conversation. So for an early Jewish Christian, this would not have reinforced their prejudice. It would actually offend them if they were prejudiced. Right? Because they would say something like, well, there's got to be some mistake. Right? A Canaanite woman as an example of great faith? Canaanites don't even exist anymore. It's hard enough to hear Jesus saying that Samaritans are examples of great faith. But Canaanites? Come on. And you might say something like, I don't understand it. Usually when Jesus has a dialogue with someone, I mean always when Jesus has a dialogue with someone, he outsmarts them. Think of all the times that the Pharisees try to put him in a trap. What does he do? He always finds a way to wriggle out. He's brilliant. But this time, it seems like this Canaanite woman teaches him something. How can that be? 
So this story would challenge the early Jewish Christians to reconsider their prejudice and to realize there may be Canaanites out there that I can learn from. Because a person's ethnicity or ancestry is not a good indication of their relationship with God. Amen? Now, this does still leave us with the question, okay, why is Jesus reluctant to do this healing? Or maybe another way of framing the question would be, is he truly reluctant? Or is he like, acting reluctant, feigning reluctance, doing some sort of like rabbinical teaching method here. What is going on? Well, I remember when I preached on this passage about six years ago, that's the last time I preached on it, my brain got so tied up in knots trying to think through this. And full disclosure, the same thing happened this time. And I'm gonna say some things that are different from what I said six years ago. I'm not necessarily taking back what I said six years ago, but I feel like I'm able to see this from a few different angles. So in the unlikely event that you heard that message and you actually remember it, um, just be mindful of that, okay? Um, So, truly reluctant or only acting reluctant? Well, into the truly reluctant bucket, we can put a couple points. One is that we were told that Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which means he went there for a break. In fact, the Gospel of Mark makes this even more explicit. It says that Jesus and his disciples were in a house and they were trying to keep their presence in the region secrets. So Jesus might be reluctant just because he, he wanted a break. Also, Uh, Jesus had said to the disciples that their focus should be on Israel right now. In uh, Matthew chapter 10, just a few chapters before this, he tells the disciples that they have been given authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick, and he tells them, I want you to go into the towns of Israel. He says, avoid um, the other towns, but go to the Israelites, the lost sheep of Israel, and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, cast out demons, heal the sick. So that's another reason why Jesus might have been reluctant. The focus right now is supposed to be on Israel. But then there are also reasons to think that Jesus was acting reluctant, that he was feigning reluctance. So in this bucket, we can put the fact that Jesus, at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, has actually already healed someone outside of Israel. The story of the Roman centurion. Uh, You guys might remember this. We looked at it in our healing miracle series. It was the first one we looked at. A, uh, a Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, my servant is suffering at home. Please, can you do something? And keep in mind, okay, that's not just a Gentile. That is a soldier, right? This is a man who is an enforcer of the empire that oppresses the Jews. This is a man who is an enforcer of the empire that crucifies anyone who dare push back against them. And when this centurion comes to Jesus for help, Jesus doesn't say, sorry, dog, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Right? No, he actually says, well, shall I come to your house and heal him? And when the centurion says, you don't even have to come to my house, you're not... 
I'm not worthy to have you come into my house, but I know you have so much authority that you can heal my servant from right here, from a distance. And Jesus says, I have not seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. And he praises this Gentile centurion's faith. And then he uses this as an opportunity to teach the disciples something. He says, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, many people who are not Jews will come from far away and will end up in the kingdom of God. So if Jesus wasn't reluctant, wasn't actually reluctant to help this Gentile centurion, why would he be reluctant to help this Canaanite woman? Right? So that's, that's one, one reason to think he was only acting reluctant. Another reason to think he was only acting reluctant is actually because of what happens right before this. Um, when you're reading the Bible, you always want to pay attention to what happens right before what you're reading and what happens right after. You get in trouble when you just look at things in isolation. Okay? You want to try and keep in mind the whole picture. And what happens right before this is that the religious leaders pick a fight with Jesus. They say, why is it that you and your disciples don't observe the traditions of our elders because you don't ceremonially wash your hands before you eat? The elders taught, you got to wash your hands so that when you eat, you don't make the food unclean and then eat unclean food and then become unclean yourself. And Jesus responds by saying, you guys are focusing on the wrong things, basically. And then he says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth. In other words, what's really sinful is not eating something with unwashed hands. It might be kind of gross, but it's not sinful. What's really sinful is speaking evil, right? Speaking lies, speaking hatred, speaking slander. And the disciples are actually confused by this. So they're like, can you explain this to us again? And Jesus has to explain it again. He says, are you guys so dull? Come on. And, and he explains to them, okay, real sin. It's not about what you're putting into your body. It's about what's coming out of your heart and what's coming out of your mouth. That's what real sin is. So here's my theory. Maybe Jesus acts reluctant because he's testing the disciples to see if they've learned the lesson he was just trying to teach them right before this? Have they learned the lesson yet that it's not what a person eats that defiles them, but what they say and do? You know, if they finally learn that lesson, then maybe they're going to stand up for this Canaanite woman. And they're going to say, Rabbi, maybe we shouldn't regard her as unclean. Maybe she's one of the many that you spoke of who will come from the east and the west and take their place at the table in the kingdom of God. Maybe we shouldn't send her away, but we should let her come to the table. When this Canaanite woman arrives, the disciples' natural reaction would to think of, be to think of her as defiled, to think of her as unclean. She probably eats the wrong things and eats them with unwashed hands, right? But when we see her, she doesn't speak evil. She speaks faith in Jesus. So maybe Jesus was testing them. Or maybe 
Jesus acted reluctant because he wanted the disciples to see just how faith-filled a supposedly unclean Canaanite could be. And that never would have come out unless he acted reluctant initially. Maybe feigning reluctance was the best way to help the disciples and to help us unlearn our prejudice. So, some things for you to consider. But whatever the case, the conclusion is that the Gentiles will receive the crumbs that fall from the Jews' table. Meaning, what God is doing through Jesus is not just for Israel. Jesus, who is the bread of life, will not only feed Israel, and the Canaanite woman understands this. The Canaanite woman, she's got good theology. She understands that what God is doing among the Jewish people is special, but it's not meant to be contained to the Jewish people. It's meant to go out to the whole world. And here's something I, I found studying this time that I definitely did not find last time, and I, I'm excited about it. So this idea here that Jesus as the bread of life is going to be going out to the whole world it's expressed in Matthew in a really special way. Now, the Gospel of Matthew includes not one, but two miraculous feedings. The feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. These are times where Jesus miraculously multiplies bread to feed a multitude of people. In both times, Jesus takes the bread and he gives thanks, he looks up to heaven, and then he breaks it and he disperses it to the crowd. And what we will discover later through the, the Last Supper is that when Jesus takes bread, looks up to heaven, give thank, gives thanks, and breaks it, what, is, what does that bread represent? It represents his sacrifice, the sacrifice of his life, of his body, given to us so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life, right? Now, I always thought it was strange that there were two stories in the Gospel of Matthew of miraculous feedings that are almost exactly the same. And in fact, you know, some people will say, well, there must have been some mistake. The early church must have taken two versions of the same story and accidentally thought that they were different, different events, but they were actually the same event. Well, no, this wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a mistake because there is a huge difference between these two miraculous feedings. The feeding of the 5,000 is a feeding of Jewish people. But the feeding of the 4,000 is a feeding of Gentiles. Because it happens in a Gentile region. And when these people experience Jesus' power, it says that they praise the God of Israel. Now, that's a strange thing to clarify if they're Israelites, right? If they're Israelites, well, of course they praise the God of Israel. But if they're not Israelites, that's, that's a special thing to note, right? And that second feeding, the feeding of the 4,000, happens right after the Canaanite woman says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. 
So this interaction with the Canaanite woman, it's a hinge point. It marks a shift where Jesus' mission expands out from Israel to the Gentiles. And we see that shift fulfilled immediately in the feeding of the 4,000, right? Which represents Jesus offering himself the bread of life to Gentiles. So, here's how I see it. Here's how I understand this. Maybe in six years, if I preach on this again, I'll see it a little differently. Um, But this is the way I think about it. I'm in the camp that says Jesus was acting reluctant, that he was, he was feigning reluctance for several reasons. And I think that Jesus knew that this shift was happening, the shift from focusing only on Israel to also on the Gentiles. I think that he knew he was going to offer his life not only for the Jews, but for the sins of the whole world. I think that he knew that he was in a little while going to express that by miraculously feeding these Gentiles. But I think he wanted to give this Canaanite woman the honor of ushering in the shift. He lets her announce the truth rather than just saying it himself. He lets her show the disciples that the kingdom of God is bigger than they expect. Right? He lets her show them that a Canaanite can have a faith that puts them to shame. And he lets her speak the truth and then he commends her for it. Now, maybe you agree with my interpretation, maybe you don't, but at the very least, I hope I've given you some things to think about, and I hope that if this passage makes you uncomfortable, it makes you a little less uncomfortable now. But I'd like to finish by talking about a little bit of practical application here. Now, I'm pretty sure that if you're here today, you don't think that Jesus only came for the Jews. You probably don't need to be convinced of that, right? So, does this story have anything to tell us today? Well, I definitely think it does. And so to close, I want us to recognize two practical lessons. The first lesson has to do with what exemplary faith looks like. Jesus says, you have great faith. Why does he say that? What's great about her faith? Well, part of what makes her faith great is that it has the right object, right? Faith, when it's not attached to the right thing, is of no value. And how is it the right object? Well, she recognizes the God of Israel as the true God. And she's confident that Jesus is sent from God and that Jesus has authority and power, right? Her faith has the right object. But what really raises the quality of her faith is the tenacity of it. Right? She will not give up. Even though Jesus doesn't answer her right away. Even though at first he says, ah, I've sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. She still believes that Jesus is for her too. That Jesus is for her. She reminds me a little bit of Jacob in his wrestling match with God. Some of you probably remember that story, right? What does Jacob say? I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. That is the kind of faith that Jesus celebrates. 
So the first lesson I see is that exemplary faith is tenacious about believing that Jesus is for us too. Not just for those other people, for me. Even though there may be times where God seems distant or absent, I mean, how do you react when God seems distant? How do you react when your prayers seem to go unanswered? Or when God just doesn't seem to make any sense to you? Do you keep wrestling with God? Do you, do you allow your doubts and questions to lead you to deeper understanding and a more mature faith? Or do you say, well, I guess this Jesus thing isn't for me? The Canaanite woman should inspire us to push through those times when God seems distant. And she should inspire us not just to hold on to faith, but to be bold in our prayers. I mean, it's so striking to me, right? Jesus says, oh, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, it is, Lord. What? Yes, it is, Lord. Jesus doesn't say, excuse you? How dare you talk to me like that, right? No, he commends her. He says, way to go. You have great faith. The kind of faith that Jesus celebrates is the kind of faith that absolutely refuses to let go of the idea that God is good. Refuses. Jesus loves that. And the second practical thing that I think we can learn here is that we should be willing to change our minds. Um, now, as I already said, I don't actually think that this woman changed Jesus' mind. I think he already knew that his mission was going to go out beyond the Gentiles. I think he knew that the Gen or beyond the Israelites, excuse me. I think he knew that uh, the Gentiles would eat the crumbs that fall from the Jews' table. But, as I said already, Jesus was fine with letting this interaction play out in a way where he appeared to change his mind because of what the Canaanite woman said, right? Which is a very humble thing for Jesus to do. And I think that part of the reason that he did that was because he wanted to model something for the disciples and for us, which is this ability to change our minds. A lot of people think that changing your mind is a sign of weakness. And it can be, right, if you're too easily persuadable, if you don't have any convictions. But when the right evidence presents itself, changing our minds is a righteous thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Especially changing our minds about judgments we've made regarding other people or people groups. Right? That's what happens here. This, the disciples had an idea of what Canaanites are like, who they are, but then they have a close encounter with a Canaanite woman, and it challenges all those assumptions, all that prejudice, right? And it leads to a change of mind. And that is reflective of a pattern that I've noticed which is that usually when somebody 
somebody's prejudicial mindset changes, it's not because of a rational argument. It's not because of logic, right? It's just by being around somebody who they would normally be prejudiced against, who kind of shatters their stereotypes, right? Over the last few years, I've looked at a lot of stories of people who have repented of prejudicial mindsets, uh, especially people who grew up in cults and who were told that everybody outside the cult is horrible and is condemned. Um, stories of, of, of people who escaped um, you know, the Ku Klux Klan or white supremacist groups and that sort of thing. Klansmen who literally gave up their hoods. I've looked at those kinds of stories and I've noticed that one of the consistent features in those stories is that these people had close encounters with people from the groups that they judged or condemned. And then they weren't the way they expected, right? And they saw their humanity. In some cases, they saw their faith. And then that changed them. So I'll close with this. Keep this thought in mind. God may want to teach you something through a close encounter with the kind of person you're inclined to judge. And God may want you to be somebody else's close encounter with the kind of person that they judge. So be open for that. Be ready for that. Amen? All right. Lord, we thank you for this challenging story. And we thank you, Lord, that we get to receive the crumbs from the Jewish table. We thank you that you, as the bread of life, have offered your, yourself to us. Lord, we celebrate that. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see others not the way that the world does, but the way that you do. Lord, free us from any uh, unhealthy prejudices. Help us to recognize um, that you can be at work in some of the people that we would least expect it. Help us not to box you in, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.